Today our scripture is Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Today we're continuing on in our series uh, through the Lord's Prayer, finishing it up today, talking about this petition of uh, forgiveness, uh, that we would pray that, that God would forgive us our debts as we've been forgiven. And uh, as I thought about this idea of forgiveness this week, it's really the whole reason Jesus came. Uh, and, and for me, the idea of forgiveness uh, was shaped from an early age, and the general logic of forgiveness is, is this. Uh, I'm, I'm really going to mess up, but I don't need to ask for forgiveness unless I get busted, right? I mean, that's kind of the logic. We see and have been shaped that having to ask for forgiveness is a really bad thing. But Jesus seems to have this whole other logic about it. That it should be a part of what we're praying into our lives, this idea of forgiveness. I mean, I think about... To, you know, the time that I unwrapped and rewrapped all of my Christmas presents while my mom was at work. She found out I'm not good at wrapping. I had to ask for forgiveness. I think about uh, the time that I literally laundered $40 from uh, uh, spare change from my mother's uh, change bowl in the bathroom. I, she, she found out I had to ask for forgiveness. I think about uh, the time that I was 12 years old riding on a dirt bike and running from the police on a highway. <laughs> I didn't get caught, but they did find out and I had to ask for forgiveness. I think about those things and I have to ask for forgiveness. You've got things that you've been busted for, some that are kind of light and cute, like some of those except for the police one. And, uh, and then you've got other ones that are more heavy. And, and if there's anything I know about Christmas and the holidays, it's this is that we're around uh, extended family that maybe we haven't seen before, and it, it tends to draw out emotion in us that is dormant otherwise. And so I think this is a real timely sermon for us, as we will engage with people today, tomorrow, and the rest of the week, um, th that maybe there are things that have happened that have been really difficult to forgive. So, so Jesus says this in his prayer, Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. He assumes that will be part of our prayer life and our relationship with him. And then he adds this clause onto the end. It's one of the, really the scariest passages in the Bible. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your he heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. So when we pray for our ability to forgive, we're actually praying that God would make us to believe the good news of the gospel, that we're actually forgiven. And that's really where the big idea of this sermon comes from today. We learn to forgive by living forgiven. We learn to forgive by living forgiven. So what does that mean? As we press into the gospel and see our own need for forgiveness, and we press deeper into that, we learn to forgive. It's, it's not that we're letting people off when we forgive. It's that we're just pressing in deep to see how much we've been forgiven of. So i got three points that I want to talk about today. First one's this. Forgiving others of sin is the hardest thing you will ever do in life. Can I get an amen? It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. And it, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do because you'll never be able to do it on your own. 
We in and of ourselves do not have the grace, mercy, and compassion possible to forgive other people on our own, to truly forgive them, to truly release the sin that has been incurred against us. We don't have it in us. We need the grace of God to shape that in us. And, and the world around us says that we must withhold forgiveness, that we must punish the offender to teach them a lesson. And it is a, it is a sort of currency that we have, leverage against others when we refuse to forgive them. It's a, it's a power that we have. And the enemy loves to work through it because it, it puts others in our debt and gives us power and we feel alive. And if we're honest, we're trying to play the place of God when we, when we try to live in that way. So I want to look at a quick passage from Luke chapter 7. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn it there. I'll give you a little bit of context as we're turning there. It'll be on the screen if you don't. Um, there's this story about Jesus having dinner with this uh, religious Pharisee. And, um, and, and so what happens is Jesus is invited in uh, to this guy's house. It's pretty early on in his ministry. And, and all of a sudden, as they're having this really kind of posh, nice dinner, I mean, like kind of upscale dinner, right? Uh, the one that you kind of take your wife out to once a year kind of dinner. They're having this dinner. And in barges this sinful woman, this, this woman uh, uh, who is likely a, a woman of the streets, pro- likely a prostitute, barges into this guy's house and makes a beeline for Jesus when she hears that he's there. And, and kind of on the side to himself, Simon witnesses this, this guy named Simon, and he begins to say to himself, if Jesus really knew how jacked up this lady's life was, how messed up she was, what she's doing Monday to Saturday, if he really knew, he wouldn't associate himself with this woman. He, j- he just wouldn't put himself in that place. And then Jesus is literally reading his mail. And here's how he responds in Luke chapter 7, verses 44 through 50. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and, and you gave me no water for my feet. You didn't show me any hospitality, you say, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. You need to underline that in your Bible. He who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, Simon didn't have a category for forgiveness because he didn't see himself as a person who needed to be forgiven of anything. And so he is, he is full of this kind of self-righteous indignation about himself. And, and, and he didn't see himself as someone who actually needed Jesus to forgive him of anything. And so he couldn't really worship Jesus because he didn't really need Jesus. And that's the key for us. You'll not worship Jesus unless you need him. 
unless you're desperate for his presence in your life, unless you're desperate for the forgiveness that he can show to you in your life, you'll not need him, you'll not worship him. And when we realize that we actually need to be forgiven and that that Jesus actually has the power to forgive, like these, these guys realize at this dinner, that's the place where worship begins in our hearts. You see, the world tells us that when you have to ask for forgiveness, it's a terrible thing because it means that you've sinned. But what Jesus invites us to is to be honest with where we're at today. To say, yes, I am messed up. There are some things that no one knows about that I need to be forgiven of. Some things that no one knows about that I've, that I've been concealing my entire life that, that, that just, they haunt me at night if I'm honest. Jesus says, as those things are revealed and exposed, and we seek by faith as this woman did, Forgiveness, that's the place where worship begins in our hearts. Jesus is saying we we can't have a proper view of ourselves and others unless we see ourselves as this woman sees herself. So the question that we got to ask ourselves is this. This is a question I've been wrestling with for probably three or four months now. How can I live as the most forgiven man in the world? That's really the mark of maturity. How can I live as the most forgiven man or woman in the world? So instead of looking for the the alibi or or pointing the, the, the finger or blame shifting, what if we begin to own our sin? Not because we're proud of it, not because we, we, we need a license to go out and live how we want to live regardless of how God says we ought to live, but because we're just being honest with who we are and we realize that we're free to be exposed as who we really are in light of who Jesus is. And that's a beautiful, beautiful place to be. It's not about posturing your life to find the least amount of exposure of sin and therefore desire of forgiveness. This is, this is how we try to put on a front, isn't it? We, we try to keep things close to our, you know, our vest and, and, and we say, I'm just a private person. And we've got really this whole cycle of sin that's just leading us into this place where we're, where we're haunted and, and we're miserable people. So let me ask you this question. Do you have a category for forgiveness in your life? And, and the question really to, to get to the bottom of that is to say, is there anyone in my life that I am withholding forgiveness from right now? Is there anyone that I've said, you know, they've just done too much. I can't forgive them. I can't even enter into relationship with them, to conversation with them, because it might mean that I'm letting them off the hook for what they've done. Is there anyone in your life like that right now? Because Jesus says, he who is forgiven little loves little. He who is forgiven little loves little. So how can we live as the most forgiven people in the world and therefore actually release ourselves to worship Jesus is for what he came to do, which is to rescue sinners. That's the whole reason that baby was born in a manger, is that he would be on a rescue mission. That takes us to our second point. Uh, forgiveness of sin was at the heart of Jesus' rescue mission. So, so when the Bible talks about forgiveness, it's much different than the way that we think about forgiveness often. Um, and I want to share a brief excerpt from the Old Testament, from Leviticus chapter 16, where we get a picture of what the heart of forgiveness is where Jesus actually deals uh, with, with sin. And, there, and there's no, really no other world religion that has an explicit category for unmerited forgiveness, that you could receive forgiveness by faith. 
Megan and I were on an anniversary trip uh, to San Francisco, and in San Francisco, we've learned that it's foolish to have a car there, because parking is like, you'll pay like $150 for parking a day. It's ridiculous. So we are riding in Uber and Lyft as we are going around the city. Lots of fun. If you've never done it, you should try it out. And so one of the drivers that we uh, had uh, was this uh, guy named uh, Harple, and he was of the Sikh religion. And... Um, you know, we have a 30-minute ride fighting through traffic. I'm in the front seat with him, and uh, we begin just talking about uh, what we believe about God. And, and you know what I found is that in every other kind of world religion of, of folks that I've encountered, whether they're, you know, uh, Buddhist, uh, Hindu, uh, Muslim, uh, they are far more comfortable talking about their faith than Christians on the norm. I just want to say that. It's just really interesting. And so we found it real natural to just talk about what we believed. And one of the things that uh, Harple and I talked about was, was this idea of, of assurance that, that we're actually forgiven of our sins. And so as we got out of the car at our destination, I can't remember what it was. So we get out of the car. I just, I just kind of had a, a closing conversation with him where I just asked, hey, man, how do you, how do you know if you've ever, if, if it's ever enough, the, the good deeds that you've done? the righteous things that you've set your life toward, how do you know if it's ever enough for you to actually be forgiven and have peace in your heart? And he, he looked at me and said some of the saddest words I've ever, ever heard. He said, I don't. I don't. I, I, I don't know where I could get that. And I told him about, about Jesus, but it was a quick conversation. But church, this is the distinctive of our faith. One of the distinctives of our faith is we can actually know and live and be in forgiveness and give forgiveness to others. That is, some of the greatest gifts that we can give to people is the grace that Jesus has shown and given toward us. And, and God knows our misery. He knows the misery of trying to deal with sin on our own and to try to live lives of unforgiveness. And that's why he sends Jesus. And so in Leviticus 16, each year in Jewish culture, there was this day where they would really lift high the fact that they had been forgiven. It was this day called Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. And, 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 and each day, on this day every year, the, the, the priest would um, they'd, they'd bring out a couple goats and they'd cast lots for which lo goat would be the, the scapegoat and, and, and which one they would actually sacrifice. And they would, they would, they would take the blood of the one that they they sacrificed and put it on the scapegoat. And let's, let's listen to Leviticus 16, starting in verse 10, and see what happens. This, this scapegoat was known as the Azazel. Say that with me. Azazel. That's kind of fun, right? Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Levit on to verse 20. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place in the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and, and their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness. By the hand of a man who is in readiness, the goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you and you shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. So, so there's a goat with blood on it sent into the wilderness. What happens to this goat? Yeah, you get the picture, right? He doesn't last long. Now, here's, the, here's, what, here's what Jesus has come into. our. He's moved into our neighborhood to handle sin. 
And this, the picture of this scapegoat, the Azazel, was, was, a, was a forerunner of what Jesus would do for us. Where he would, take, he would bear on himself, on the cross, all of the sins of those would, that would call upon his name. And he would take them out of the camp forever. He would take your sin and my sin and bury it in the grave so that they can no longer haunt us anymore. This is what Jesus has come to do. He's come to actually take your sin somewhere. Think about that. Those, those moments that you have where you have confessed your sin, you've asked for forgiveness, and you still just feel this uneasiness in your heart. That's not Jesus. That's the enemy who's trying to convince you that you've not been forgiven of the sin that you've confessed. Because when we confess our sins, the Scriptures say He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, is what 1 John says. And so this is what Jesus does. He's come to actually take your sin somewhere. To cast it, as the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he's removed our sin from us. Because of his grace, the sins that you can't forget, he can't remember. And guys, that is the best news that we could possibly, possibly hear this morning. God has buried our past in the grave. Can we let it stay there? That's the, that's the, that's the good news of the gospel. So then Jesus says that the way that we've been forgiven, will, will be a, there'll be a, a direct link between how we forgive and how we see ourselves as forgiven. So let's, let's kind of close out our morning by looking at this. We learn to forgive by living forgiven. So in our journey with God, maturity looks more and more like an awareness, a growth in awareness of our forgiveness before God. That's what it looks like each and every day. And the, the best example of this that I can find in the Bible is this, is this story about this dad and these two sons, right? And um, it's just interesting because the, the vivid picture that I get from this story is not the sons, it's actually the dad. Because here we have this super wealthy man running after his son. Now think about that, a picture of a man of means that's not being served, but he's actually serving, and he's running. So let's figure out why this father's running. If you have a Bible, let's open up to Luke chapter 15, verses, uh, we're starting verses 11 through 14, and I just want to kind of story tell this with us as we, as we journey along through this. And there was a man who had two sons, and, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them, and, and not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far, far country. And when he was there, he squandered his property in, in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So the young man chose to disgrace his father, because basically what he said to his dad was, hey dad, like you're rich, and that's great, and I, I kind of like being your son, but really you'd be better off if you were dead to me. That's what he's saying. I, I, I'd rather have your stuff than you. I, I would rather have, um, I'd rather you give me an advance on my inheritance so that I can go and live life my way. And so you know what the father does? 
He does one of the hardest things that any father could ever do. You know what he does? He lets his son go. He lets him go. See, for the father, I don't get the picture that it was about the money. I mean, sure, he took a hit. Like a, a third of his possessions or something were gone now. But he sat there at the gate and watched his son walk away. Maybe even run away. Some of us in here are that son. Um, we've ran away. We've ran away from our Father in Heaven. We've ran away from those who have pointed us to our Father in Heaven. And we've got different reasons for why we've ran away, but those don't really matter. What matters is that we've run away. And, 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 and the interesting thing is, is that kind of the son's life kind of goes on in this reckless living until he comes to this day where he, the Bible says he began to be in need. And that, that's the place that every son has to get to. Every daughter has to get to. To have a viable and life-giving relationship with their father, with their father in heaven, is to get to the place where you're actually in need of God. See, the truth is, is that you're always in need of God, and that he's even providing for you when you're not asking for it. He's giving you air to breathe. He's giving you a roof over your head. He's giving you food to eat. And we know that all of these have come from God because the scriptures say in James that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights who doesn't change. So everything that we have, we're enjoying regardless of whether we're acknowledging that, the, that it came from the Father's hand or not. And it became in need. And, and that caused him to think when he got to the place where he was in need. Are you in need this morning, church? Maybe you're here visiting this morning and you don't really even know why you're here, but you're here. God knows why you're here. My question is, are you in need this morning of something outside of yourself to sustain you and give you life? Because if you are, you're in a really, really good place. Because Jesus wants to meet those needs on our behalf. The Henry Nouwen, who wrote this book called The Return of the Prodigal Son, all about this, says this. He says, I'm the prodigal son every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. Isn't that true of all of us? Every time that we look for unconditional love in our work, in our relationship with our spouse, in our relationship with our parents or our kids, in our relationship with anything, anytime we look for something eternal and unconditional, you're going to get let down every single time. And I, I truly believe it's one of the kindest things God can ever do to us, to let us experience the despair where we'll actually see ourselves in need of a father who can actually do something about our issue. Let's keep reading along here. Luke 15, 15 through 20. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. This is the younger son who sent him into the field to feed his pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pools that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said this, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger, and I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, I'll make up this script to make myself acceptable to my father again, he says. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. How many times do we do that? We make up this kind of script to come before our Father in Heaven of why we've done what we've done. We do, we do that. And why we're in the place that we're at. And we try to self-justify the situations that we've got ourselves into. 
We do that. We, we, we build these narratives in our mind. But let's keep reading and see what the Father, how the Father responds here. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, the son's coming home. While he was still a long way off. He wasn't even close to home yet. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion. The first thing the father did when he saw his son is he felt something. See, we tend to look at God as this, this intellectual piece that we kind of have, and we put it on a shelf, we kind of wrestle around about it. But God is a God of the whole heart. The Father in the story is, is our Father in heaven that we've been learning how to pray to. He felt something in his heart. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. He listed his script, right? He lets it roll. He's got it memorized. He's been memorizing it the whole way back on the dreaded trip. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but the father said to his servants, he didn't even acknowledge what he said. What did he do? He says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. This, this, this kid was destitute, right? I mean, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for my son was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and he's found and, and they began to celebrate. They begin to celebrate. So what you hear the father saying is, son, I don't care where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've spent. It doesn't matter what you thought. What matters to me this, this day, son, is that you're home. What matters is that you're home. I notice that the father isn't reluctant about his son taking advantage of him cursing his name. His reputation has been smeared through the mud. Has anyone ever, has anyone ever maybe like paid for a meal for you and, um, and like you're so insistent that you need to pay for the meal and so you like, like this person wants to give you a gift and then you're like, no, 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 I got this. Let me Venmo you some money. Let me, let me slip a 20 across the table. I got anybody like that? Anybody in here? Yeah, yeah, a couple of you. Okay, it's good because leave your hands. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, what, what's, that show, what's that show us when we do that? Is that it's really hard for us to receive anything, right? It's just hard. It's, it's against human nature to receive anything that we don't feel like we've earned. But here's the deal. You can't earn what you need the most. It has to be a gift. It's why, it's why Christmas, why we celebrate Christmas, that Jesus, that Jesus had to come. So the grace of God leaves us feasting in the midst of famine. I mean, think about this father. He, he fully reinstates his son. I was thinking about this this week. This means that if he was fully reinstated, he wasn't like a, he wasn't like a, a, you know, a son kept in the, the corner. He wasn't like a hired servant. This guy was going to get another inheritance. He was going to get another inheritance. He's fully reinstated as a son. But then there's this other side to the story, right? Because there's another brother that we haven't talked about yet. And this other brother is kind of watching this whole thing go down. And he's kind of like Simon that we looked at in Luke 7. Let's read about this brother real quick. Luke 15, 25 through 32. Now his older son was in the field. And, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and he asked 
what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. And his father came out and the father's going after this son too. Do you notice that? The father comes out and he entreats him and the, the older son answers his father and he says, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command and you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, this one right here, has come and he's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, <laughs> you're always with me. All, all that mine, it's always been yours. And it, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this brother was dead and, and he's alive. He was lost and, and he's found. When you hear the feast of forgiveness, when you hear the music of forgiveness at a distance that a, that a lost son or daughter has come home, what does your heart do? You begin to look at the places in your life and self-justify yourself and say, man, I can't believe that this guy, look at this dad, I mean, he's, I can't believe he'd actually forgive this guy. I mean, it would call, I mean, this is reckless. This is a bad, this is a bad business decision, dad. What are you thinking? He's probably going to go out and blow it again. He probably doesn't even really love you. He probably just ran out of money. And we, and we think and we look about, we look at those stories and we think those things. Where do you see yourself in the story this morning? Because the Father hasn't changed. Each of us lean toward one of those two extremes. We, we lean toward the, the younger son who's, who's went out and he's been reckless. Maybe you haven't even come home. You're just kind of here this morning. And you know what the Father says to you? If that's where you're at this morning. I don't care where you've been. You don't even have to make up the story. You don't have to come in as a hired servant. You don't have to say, I'll give all my money and I'll do all this and I'll do all that. Here's what matters. Come home. I don't care where you've been, just come home. And there's the older son. The older son is the one that's been the closest to the father from, a, from an appearance standpoint. But he has been the one that has been farthest from the father's heart. And that's the danger, right? Is that you can appear to be close to God and you can be so far from him. My dad told me this story about uh, a time that he got arrested. I love to hear these kinds of stories too. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and he, he told me, you know, I don't know that his father was a believer, but he told me about a story that really marked him and how he has learned to forgive. He said that he got arrested and he called his dad up and he said, uh, Dad, I'm in jail. <laughs> and, uh, and his dad said, I'll be right there. He came, he bailed him out, picked him up. They never, they never talked about it again. It wasn't that the dad was so mad, my grandpa. Papa was so mad. No, no, no. He just wanted his son home. He'd be willing to do anything to bring his son home. He didn't say, now you've got to do this, 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 and this to earn what I've paid for you. No, he didn't say that. He said, just come home. And you know what happened? The love that my papa had for my dad just knitted their hearts together. That's what God's love does for us. He doesn't care about your future obedience that you're going to promise them. He didn't care about that. What he cares about is that he has the power 
and the means to forgive, and He just wants you to come home. So some of us need to repent this morning for uh, our reckless living and, and leaving home. And we need to come back to our Father. Others of us need to repent uh, for our self-righteousness, for being hypocrites, like we're close to the Father, but we're not really close to the Father. You see, the interesting thing is, is everybody always thinks about the story, and they think about the younger brother who's went out and blown it, right? They think, man, I can't believe that guy. He's the only one in the story that we see reconciled to God. Not the older brother. We don't hear how that story ends. We just know that the father goes after him and the son wants nothing to do with it. So as we close, I want want to challenge you with this. What's it look like for you to live as the most forgiven person in the world this Christmas? This year, 2018. What's it look like for you to live as the most forgiven person in the world? That those outside the faith and those inside the faith would receive such grace from your life because you are a conduit of the forgiveness, grace, mercy, and peace of God. What would it look like for you to receive that? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we, we just give thanks that, uh, that while, we were, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. While we were still sinning, Christ died. And Lord, as we think about these stories, these truths that your scripture unpacks for us, and some of us feel like you've been reading our mail, that you're speaking straight to us this morning. God, I pray that we would not leave this place this morning without acknowledging the fact that you've met us. That you met us in a profound way. Lord, I pray, I pray for those in this room right now that are harboring unforgiveness toward other people. Lord, I cannot imagine what some of us have endured from the hands of others. But Father, You can. That's why You sent Jesus. To actually take our sins somewhere. To actually deal with it. To actually give us power to live as forgiven people who are able to forgive others. So Lord, meet us this morning. Meet us in a profound way and touch our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.